welcome to my fourth podcast, Accordi. I am your host, Marianne Schmucker. As an artist manager, I have a roster of internationally acclaimed classical musicians. In this episode, we listen to a pre-concert conversation between Trio Con Brio Copenhagen and Julius Rieder Carlsen. He is Associate Professor of Music at Mount St. Mary's University and also the Artistic Director of the Camera Society in downtown Los Angeles. In their roles as performers and musicologists, they will examine Beethoven's Archduke Trio. It is with pleasure to welcome my first guest. Julius, good morning to you in Los Angeles. In your role as presenter, would you introduce us to the Da Camera Society's concert series? Well, first, it's a pleasure to be here, Mariana. Thanks so much for inviting me and uh, a pleasure to get to speak with Frio Conbrio. Da Camera is, is very much a Los Angeles institution. A half century ago in 1973, another music professor at Mount St. Mary's University, Marianne Bonino, had the idea of congregating chamber musicians in the salon of the Doheny Mansion, a beautiful Gilded Age building on Mount St. Mary's University's downtown campus. And her concept eventually expanded to include concerts at architecturally significant sites around the LA area. The inflection point for the series was the 1982 Olympics. After that, the camera really took off, hosting some of the world's greatest musicians and sites, including the Bradbury Building, Frank Lloyd Wright's Hollyhock House, House, the Aztec House, and Union Station, among others. There was, and is, also a significant educational component to the series. Concerts are free to MSMU students and offered at a significant discount to young people studying at other schools. And we produce other educational programming as well, like our music videos, which you can find on our website at thecommercesociety.org. Since the trio will perform on your concert series in February 2024, we are joined by violinist Su Jin Hong, cellist Su Kyung Hong, and pianist Jens Elvekier. On the program, you will perform trios by Haydn, Shostakovich, and Beethoven. What makes these works interesting? This uh, program is a very interesting program because it kind of digs into three uh, major points in the development of the piano trio. Um, Haydn was said to be the father of the piano trio as well as the father of the string quartet, actually. So when we were in the beginning of our career, we did a, a competition in, in Vienna, Haydn competition, where we had to play uh, three or four Haydn trios, a very, very early one, a middle one, and a late one. And it was super interesting because the, the very first one was very, very simple. And, and basically the violin and the right hand of the piano was identical and the left hand and the cello was identical. And then throughout um, Haydn's time, you could see this very particular development of individuality in uh, three voices. So. That was kind of an educational competition because we got to understand what happened there. I think it was probably also somehow a natural development when you write so many piano sonatas, piano trios, string quartets that you kind of, with, within your life, you develop. And so, so Haydn did this fantastic thing with the piano trio. And then, of course, with Beethoven, this was 
the peak of Viennese classic genre for the piano trio with this particular work because it's a work that kind of transcends emotionally and size-wise everything that was written before for the piano trio. And of course, it's an incredible work. And then when we jump to the Shostakovich, then you can say as well as uh, Beethoven was a composer that maybe as one of the first became really political, then you can say that uh, Shostakovich is really political and, and a statement also in history because it was written during the Second World War and also takes a new and more extreme expression and in brutality almost. Um, so we have three major points of the history of the piano trio. This sounds like a program I would love to hear. But Jens, let's focus on how Beethoven gave importance to the piano trio compositions, in particular because you play the Archduke trio. Well, Beethoven was for sure the composer that developed the piano trio into a complete new level of music, of expression, and also instrumentally with the development of the piano because the piano during Beethoven's time had a very significant uh, development to a much bigger volume. And he used this in all his uh, writing, of course, both in piano sonatas and in, in uh, concertos and in, in, in the piano trio. This is a fantastic thing about the piano trios because we have the Opus 1, the first opus that Beethoven decided to publish, where it's more in the uh, lighter, virtuoso, Viennese classical style. And then we have the Opus 70, which are more towards the, the middle. And then we have the Opus 97, which is the, the Archduke, which is on the way to the late period of Beethoven. And then there is this uh, very particular work, uh, the Kakadu Variations, uh, which is put together from three different periods, from a very early, middle, and then um, the very last uh, variations has similarities to the Ninth Symphony. So this is super interesting because also as a player in the early works, you need to have this much more light, uh, elegant Viennese touch. You have to, in many passages, think more in the direction of um, Mozart, Haydn, lightness, virtuosity, uh, and the last movements are usually presto, very fast, uh, and it was meant from Beethoven also to impress uh, his new audience in Vienna. So there you have to have this kind of touch where you simply you strike the, the, the keys lighter, the strings are very they're fast and uh, also light in, in that style. And then it develops through the time with Beethoven's development as composer. And then we end up with the Archduke, which has a much more uh, singing and melodic uh, texture in many places. We played quite sometimes the whole oeuvre with Beethoven's trios, and it's really like a journey. And also, technically, you can really feel that the later works need more weight and uh, it needs more contact uh, to the instruments. I think for all three of us, Beethoven put more and more important into his uh, composition, more his own personal style. Julius, as musicologist, can you talk about why this work is called Archduke Trio? 
Well, like, like so many other German-speaking musicians, Beethoven came to Vienna because it was home to a vast German-speaking aristocracy and thus myriad opportunities for employment. And the dedication of Opus 97, the trio, reflects this situation. Beethoven wrote most of his music, and particularly his chamber works, for aristocratic patrons, in this case the Archduke Rudolf, one of the sons of a Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> that said, Beethoven's dedication of Opus 97 to the Archduke was more than a question of financial patronage. Uh, individuals like Rudolf were among the few people, not only who could support an artist, but also who could play and appreciate Beethoven's music. Such relationships were really complicated for Beethoven and were a major contributor, I think, to the well-known drama of his personal life with its frustrated love affairs, its suicide attempt or maybe attempts, and eventual uh, social isolation. At issue was the contradiction between the intellectual and artistic values held by aristocrats like Rudolf, and the continuance of an impermeable class structure, especially following the defeat of Napoleon and the onset of the Restoration. Indeed, coming of age with the French Revolution, Beethoven internalized the idea of a social order based on meritocracy, a conviction heightened by his own tremendous musical gifts, at least in principle, large portions of the German-speaking aristocracy agreed. For individuals like Rudolf, Beethoven represented a kind of noble savage, a pure German unspoiled by society, who, like Rousseau's noble savage that Native he writes about, expressed himself in the primordial language of song. The problem, for Beethoven at least, was that however quote-unquote, unspoiled and exemplar of humanity he might have been for his aristocratic friends and patrons, he was still considered a savage and didn't really have a place at the table. So while closely tied to aristocratic circles financially and artistically, Beethoven was personally an outsider. And this is certainly a factor to consider, say, in making sense of the famous Immortal Beloved episode in which Beethoven writes a letter bemoaning the impossibility of consummating a relationship. Uh, that woman who he's talking about uh, being impossible was probably one of his aristocratic students or perhaps even a wife of uh, a patron. Where does this piano trio fit within Beethoven's artistic development? Well, the Archduke piano trio was written in 1811 at the tail end of Beethoven's middle or heroic period, which is usually understood to begin just after the turn of the century and end around the time of the Congress of Vienna. As a new arrival in 1790s Vienna, Beethoven had written music that would showcase his gifts as a piano virtuoso and his ability as a composer. And so that's usually what we understand as his early period. Beethoven's success in Vienna, combined with the gradual loss of his hearing, both allowed, and in the case of his hearing, forced him to withdraw from the public sphere, causing his music to grow increasingly abstract and idiosyncratic, at least in comparison to that of his contemporaries. I think Opus 97 nicely showcases Beethoven's progression from his early style to his late styles. 
It's a private work, an improvisatory conversation between instruments that's intended for performance in a small salon with or without an audience. Unlike early Beethoven, it's not a vehicle for showcasing virtuosity, although it certainly requires virtuosity, nor is it a reworking or one-upping of another composer's achievement, let's say like Mozart or Haydn. He did a lot of that as a younger person. At the same time, it's not late Beethoven. It's not radically experimental. Um, and so it doesn't yet really fit into the, the late Beethoven category. As performers, can you talk about your approach and understanding of this important work? Yes, I will start and then Sukyong and Sujin, they will take over. Well, the beginning of the Archduke trio is very interesting. And I think some people would say it's not a very typical Beethovenian music. I always felt that it feels like the beginning of a very long novel or something like this. It has a slower pace, even it's allegro, and it has a very noble and singing touch to it. subdued way and at the very end it gets actually heroic also as in the beginning. We have these three entrances. to think about it almost uh, like in a fairy tale where there are always these three brothers entering and here it's also like this you have one brother second brother and then when the third brother comes in the story continues and that's amazing and i remember when we when we kind of found out about this it felt so right, because you feel really like the story starts to unfold. And that's very particular for this, because if we think about many of the other uh, most characteristic Beethoven, it's more about that you get immediately uh, taken by the music because it's so dramatic. But here it's another way of expression. I think there is also a transition from the middle period into the last period. The whole first movement um, starts in a very warm B-flat major and it of course develops in a almost majestic way. We very often work with pictures to find the right mood and the right character in the passages. In the development section, somehow Beethoven chooses to bring us into a room uh, where we're searching for something, it certainly suddenly becomes very insecure. And this pizzicato passage uh, for us is um, um, imagined very much like um, Thieves going into a dark house, trying not to be noticed, 
And then when we play the pizzicato, we always talk about, let's remember that it should almost be like the cats walking or like the uh, like wool socks. You, you don't make um, sounds. It is searching and this develops. Finally, I don't know whether the thief gets caught or not, but it becomes very dramatic. And this place is actually one of the key places for, for me. Um, and then how it kind of brings us back to the main theme in the recapitulation. The second movement has a lot of uh, humoristic sense and you can hear immediately it's in totally different um, atmosphere from first movement. It reminds me of teaching each other. Sukyong starts and then I come in after four bars and then some of we answer to each other but you don't know what's going to happen. And in that way, you surprise each other. And uh, you can hear this kind of humor in different uh, accents. And he puts some accents somewhere else than you expect. He somehow sweeps your floor away from you. You get almost easy, and then somehow the music stops. And then comes some melodical part, as if you are dancing together. And um, in that way, uh, we always have a lot of fun when we play uh, the second movement. And then this humoristic part suddenly stops. You somehow have the feeling that the light is turned off and that you are somewhere you don't see and that you are searching and you don't know for 40 bars where you are. You don't know which key you are in till D flat major comes in. In many ways, the centerpiece of the whole Archduke trio is the beginning of the third movement.
It also actually points a little bit towards the late Beethoven because both harmonically and also the musical message. The harmonically, it's something Beethoven often does. He goes from B flat major to D major movement. If one just plays these two harmonies right after each other, one can feel that this is really far away. Just by the harmony changes, this is an important message. Like Beethoven does in the late string quartet, he has this uh, chorale writing where he wants to say uh, something very important. I think most people also in the audience, we feel that we enter a church or something here with this chorale. It's a fantastic music. You get goosebumps, I think, every time you, you play and you hear it. It's a variation movement. The first variation is with a cello where Beethoven is philosophing about something with a, this uh, bom, bom, bom. It's, you transcend music in a way. But what is the most important thing, I think, in this music is towards the end, we have a place where the music dissolves. Uh, he goes into smaller and smaller elements and then suddenly the music almost stops. There is a, a section where, where with full intensity, I think it's it's not, of course, sometimes pictures are a little bit um, too much, but here it really sounds like Beethoven is opening a door into a new time, which is romanticism. And this place is so fantastically written because you don't, it's like a big diminuendo, nothing is happening, everything stops, and then suddenly all three instruments, they enter together and then you can hear the sound opening. And then you think a new time is coming. I think Beethoven was one of the composers who could do this so incredible that everyone gets taken away. After we have this celebration of New World, then when he starts the fourth movement, he cuts off with a brutal kind of humor. This is just fantastic music. Jens, Su Jin and Su Kyung, your passionate musical journey is inspiring. 
I thank you and Julius for being part of this engaging conversation. The sponsors for this episode are the De Camera Society at Mount St. Mary's University of Los Angeles and Ultima Productions New York for providing the ultimate in audio technology for classical musicians. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to Accordi and recommend it to a friend. You can find more information at dacamerasociety.org, trioconbrio.dk forward slash en, and me on marianschmockerartists.com. Thank you.